Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hello, I'm Jim Richards. Welcome to Impact Cyber Church, where we are changing the way the world sees God. You say, why you got to change the way the world sees God? I'll tell you why. Because until the world sees God the way Jesus presented Him, the way Jesus portrayed Him, until we interpret the Scriptures the way Jesus interpreted the Scripture, we will never, ever, ever be able to enjoy what God has freely given us. And until we look at the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that's the the epitome, the perfect expression, the focal point of where we connect to God's love until that's the case, then the reality of it is we're only experiencing small degrees of what we really have in Jesus. It was an interesting thing uh, about the truth. We are so black and white in our concepts of truth that, that, uh, well, it it causes an incredible amount of of conflict and dissension in the body of Christ. The truth is that In the original language, there are different words that are all translated as truth, and they all mean uh, slightly different things. You know, there there is truth, a word for truth, that, you know, this is, is absolute truth. This is the truth. Any other variation is a lie. But there's also... A, a word for truth that represents the idea of, of something being a partial truth. And then there is a word for truth that says this is that partial truth. If it was brought to its fullest meaning, this would be what it really means. So we fail to understand that we can have variables in our faith. We can have misinterpretations of some aspect of what God has given us in Jesus. And it doesn't mean we lose everything or we have no capability of gaining any of the benefits of that promise. It pretty much just means that we can only operate faith to the, de- to the degree of truth that we have. And in many situations, we have partial truth. Therefore, we're operating faith in partial truth, and we're getting partial benefits. And, you know, sometimes when we get partial benefits, we're convinced that that's all there is, and our self-righteousness kicks in, and we get the idea that if there was more, I'd have it, because after all, this is working. And the truth is, it's working to a certain degree. But many times there is a truth that doesn't say that your truth, how how you're experiencing or interpreting this is completely wrong. It's more like presenting the idea that the how you're experiencing the truth is limited. It's not the full expression of what God intended, what God implied, or what God actually wanted you to have. You know, a perfect example of this is in the book of John, the first chapter, where it says Moses gave us the law, Jesus gave us grace and truth. Well, you know, I, I was speaking about this back in the 80s at the beginning of the of what we now call the grace movement, which I, I hate that concept of a, of a movement, and I, and, I, and I hate where the so-called grace movement has gone because it's gone in such, uh, such a, a disastrous direction. 
Uh, but one of the things that's caused it to go into a, a bad direction is you take a statement like that and they say, well, see, Jesus brought us the truth. So what Moses brought us in the law was not the truth. Well, you know, that's so absurd because the first five books of the Bible were recorded directly from the mouth of God. They are God's words. And so how can you say that God's words are not truth? The problem was that we never received God's words the way He told us to and the way He intended to. He, he meant for everything that He ever said to be a prescription for walking in love. And so when it says that Jesus brought us grace and truth, it's not saying truth as opposed to something that wasn't true. It's truth in the fullest uh, expression. Uh, it's truth in the fullest intention of what God actually meant. So we started out, we started this uh, series weeks ago talking about the fact that we receive the goal of our faith. And this means that whatever limitations we put on a particular scripture or whatever we fail at this point to see in a scripture doesn't mean it's not true. It means that we can only benefit to the degree that we see, believe, perceive the truth, trust the truth, uh, and, and take hold of it by faith in our own hearts. Now, everything that we have in God, our faith for salvation is not rooted so much in what Jesus did in his life. All that's valuable, all that shows us incredible things about God. It models to us what a man full of the Holy Spirit can do. If we, to the degree that we surrender ourselves fully and completely to God, to that degree we can be like Jesus. And to any degree that I am not like Jesus, and trust me, there's a whole bunch of degrees that I'm not like Jesus. Any degree that I am not like Jesus is a degree that I am not surrendered to Jesus. I may not understand what that surrender looks like. I may not understand uh, 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 the truth that the truth that I don't understand. You know, I may not realize where where that is or what that is. But uh, but I but I can tell you this. If I'm believing the truth as God intended, if I've surrendered to that truth fully and completely, then my life would look just like Jesus. And, and if you've got any other standard than that, then you've got a messed up standard and, and, you, know, and, and you, don't, you don't want to go there. So there's great value from the life of Jesus. But our salvation hinges on what happened from the cross to the throne, and I call it three days that changed the world. And it is what happened on the cross, in the grave, through the resurrection, and in the heavenly holy of holies, it's what happened in that process that determines what I have in salvation. It determines the power that works in me, the degree of power that works in me, and, and to whatever degree I know and believe the truth, that's what I receive in my life. You know, uh, well, I'm about to jump ahead of myself. I better not do it because it'd get us messed up. But I want to talk to you today about Jesus in the grave. You know, it'd be easy just to ask yourself, like, okay. And, and I, you know, I can remember uh, as a new believer talking to people who had been saved for years and years, some of them in the ministry, and, um, um, you know, good people that, that loved God and were trying to serve God. And, and I would ask them sometimes, was like, well, what did Jesus do while he was in the grave? And I got news for you. Not one person, not one preacher, not one sincere layman could ever tell me 
what Jesus was doing in the grave. I think most of them just think, well, he, he was dead. He, he, just, he just wasn't doing anything. I don't, I don't know what they believe. But I can tell you this, nobody gave me any answers about what Jesus did in the grave. And, you know, from the earliest time, I had the question about, okay, if Jesus died on Friday afternoon and, and was raised on the first day of the week, which began on Sunday at Sunday, I mean, Saturday at sundown, that's one night and one day. I thought he stayed in the grave three days and three nights. And they're sort of like, well, you know, just he sort, sort of stayed in the grave three days. No, he was in the grave three days and three nights. Listen, folks, when there is any conflict between what we believe and what the Scripture says, then either we are misunderstanding the, the Scripture, we're interpreting it wrong, or, or we have chosen to believe something that is in conflict with the Scripture. There is no other factors involved here. And I know when there's conflict between the Scripture and my opinion, my opinion is always the one wrong. And I always know that if I cling to my opinion, I limit what I can believe and receive from God, even though it's freely given, even though it's already legally mine because I'm in Jesus, that I can't receive it. So, you know, what, what was Jesus doing? Well, you know, I've heard many people say, well, you know what? He, he died and, you know, because he said to that thief, today you'll see me in paradise. He went straight to, straight to heaven. Well, you know, this is an interesting thing. So, so Jesus is in the grave. And by the way, Jesus is crucified at about 3 o'clock, about the same time that they're offering the Passover offering over, over in the temple because he's the true Passover lamb that truly takes away the sins of the world. And that Passover lamb over there was just a type. It was a shadow. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't real. It was just a ceremony. And so Jesus dies, and he's buried right, you know, right before sundown or thereabouts. On uh, uh, before the actually it had to be buried before the Sabbath began on Friday afternoon at sundown, and so we know though that that could not have been Friday afternoon. It was very probably Wednesday afternoon because he said he prophesied he would be in the grave three days and three nights. And I'm going to tell you something: if that prophecy had not come to pass exactly as he said it, I promise you this: that would have been used against the gospel throughout all of history. So Jesus is in the grave three days and three nights doing something. <clears throat> and he is raised from the dead. And in John 20, you have the story where Mary goes to the tomb and she encounters a man that she thinks is a gardener. And, and you know, she's asking, where, where is he? Where's his body? You know, she's in hysterics. And we don't know all the factors about why she didn't recognize him, but she didn't recognize him. And so... Uh, and so she, I guess, turns to walk away, and Jesus says, calls her by name, Mary. Immediately, for whatever reason, she recognized that this was Jesus. She recognized that the man who had been crucified died, and she was a part of, of, of the, of the uh, body of believers that buried him and put him in that tomb three days ago, which meant by now. And, and see, this is one of the reasons that I think that the three-day factor is so important is because, is because in, in three days, anything after three days, the body would begin to putrefy. And one of the prophecies about Jesus in the grave, it, it basically is that, is that you're not going to leave my body to corruption, you know. And so there are, there are a lot of details about the crucifixion, how long he was in the grave, how long he wasn't in the grave. But anyhow, so 
He has been raised from the dead. And here, and so Jesus says to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Now listen to what Jesus said next. Jesus said to her, verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Wait a minute. If Jesus had not yet ascended to the Father, where had he been and what was he doing? Now, there's all kinds of scriptures that talk about what happened to Jesus in, uh, let's say, the belly of the earth or the grave or the abode of the dead. However you want to say, well, I'm just going to use the terminology grave so that you can you can decide whatever whatever you believe about that. I don't know the specifics about the geographic location. I just know that he was dead and his body was in the grave. That's not where his spirit and soul were, but that's where his body was. Now, there are all kinds of scriptures we can relate to. There's numerous messianic prophecies uh, throughout the book of Psalms and other scriptures that talk about the, the struggle that took place when Jesus died. Now, now keep in mind, first and foremost, and boy, this is where, this is where you got to decide you're going to believe the Bible. Now, remember, to the degree that you believe the propitiation, and that's what it says in the book of 1 John, the fourth chapter, to the degree or what you believe about the propitiation will determine your capacity to connect to and experience the love of God. Because it was here, according to 1 John, in the propitiation that the love of God was manifested or, or was revealed to us. So to the degree I believe that with accuracy is going to determine my capacity to experience the love of God and my capacity to fall in love with God. So remember, Jesus was our model. And we talked about this last week. Everything that Jesus did on the cross, in the grave, in the resurrection, in his encounter with Satan, where he cast Satan out of heaven, and the sitting down at the right hand of God and receiving an inheritance, everything that he did, he did uh, through faith. And he did everything that we would have to individually do, which to start with, we couldn't do because Jesus could only do those things because he was a person who died without his own sin. Now, he became sin. He was made to be sin, but he had never sinned. And so Jesus dies. And remember last week, and if you haven't gone through all this, by the way, go back and listen to it. Or really, if you really, if you really want to dive into this to, to greater depths, if, if this is something that you're determined to establish your faith in death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, be sure and get my series, Three Days That Changed the World, because I'm telling you something, it is a foundational core belief uh, change your world, change your mind, change your faith kind of series. And it is the core of the gospel. So, so check out Three Days Change the World. And just let me tell you, if you can't afford it or you don't want to purchase the series, go over to, to moveyourboundaries.com at Impact Unlimited. And for one dollar for the first month, you can have access to this series as well as other books and other series that I have. And then just for pennies a day, you, you can have everything new that I come out with because we want to put these resources in your hand. And by the way, we now have it where you can actually, actually download these 
and take them with you. And that's something that we had to work a while to get to get the impact and limited work to do. In other words, you don't have to just be streaming all the time to, to be able to listen to the messages. You're getting ready to go on the trip. You can download them, take them with you, making changes to make it all better for you. But anyhow, you, you, you want to know and believe everything you can about the propitiation that took place at the cross of Christ. So <clears throat> every battle Jesus fought, he fought that battle so we would never have to fight that battle because if we fought the battle, number one, there's always the possibility that we would lose because we could lose. We could get weary and we could give up. But here's, here's one of the most important reasons why Jesus had to fight this battle because God is not seeking to make individual covenants with us. I hear this all the time. You know, God made a covenant with me and Jesus. No, he didn't. God made a covenant with Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, you're participating in the covenant that he made in Jesus. And, and, and as long as the covenant is based on you, your performance, your faith and what you did, then that covenant is never absolute. That covenant is never sure. The fact that the covenant was made with Jesus and, and like all last will and testament, it went into effect when he died, so it can't be changed. And so we have an unchangeable covenant because it was made with Jesus. We have a, a, an unchangeable inheritance because it has already been given to Jesus. And we participate in that because of our faith in what he did through his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, one of the clearest places of what happened with Jesus as he was in the grave is in the book of Jonah. As we know, and we've already talked about this, Jonah was a type, a shadow, a picture, if you will, of Jesus. It helped us understand. Uh, and, and Jesus even made reference. He said the only sign that this adulterous generation is going to get is a, is a sign of uh, just like when Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. That's the only sign they're going to get. And you know what? That's the only sign you need. So let's just go to Jonah, the second chapter. And I'm going to read this. Too. I'm going to start in, in verse 2. It says, it says so, and this is after Jonah had been tossed out of the boat, and he swallowed up by this giant fish. And it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly, and said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol, which is the boat of the dead, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, <clears throat> I want you to understand, there, there are so many incredible factors here. Jesus had dozens and dozens of prophecies that told who he was as the Son of God, and he believed those prophecies. When he launched his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he said, today, this is being fulfilled in your very eyes, when he, when he read these prophecies, uh, uh, prophecies about what the Messiah would do. So Jesus, in order for him to even launch out into his ministry, he had to first believe his identity, and he derived his identity from what God said about him, not what the Jewish leaders said about him, not even what his mother and father said about him, not what the world said about him, not even what his disciples said about him. He derived his identity from what God said about him, and that launched him out into the ministry. But Jesus also knew the prophecies about his death, and he even referred to that throughout his ministry of talking to the disciples about the time coming, you know, when he wouldn't be here, and he'd go somewhere that they, they couldn't go to right now, and, and, and he made references to his crucifixion. Why? Because he saw this in the Scripture. He read the Scriptures, knew them, believed them. And so, 
So when Jesus dies on the cross, then he knows all of these scriptural prophecies about his identity as the king of kings and the promise of him being raised from the dead. Now, this is where Jesus not only models to us what we do when we're facing overwhelming circumstances, but even more than that, this is where we identify with him and, and through communion. But you know what? I, I'll probably take this series longer than, I, than, than just this month because there's so much more we want to talk about. But when we can identify with and participate in his death, burial, and resurrection and experience the resurrection power, then the real truth is we don't just follow his example of how to win by faith. We win because of our faith and what he accomplished through his faith. See, this thing is from faith to faith. And so, and so just imagine, instead of this being Jonah, imagine this being Jesus saying, I prayed to the Lord my God out of the belly of the earth, and I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. What affliction? Well, I'll tell you what affliction. He died alienated from God. I don't understand what I'm about to say. I just know it's in the Bible. We read last week where, he, where the word death in Isaiah 53 was a plural word. And, and so he died more than one death. His grave was with the wicked and with the rich. What, what is it talking about? And it's talking about the fact that somehow the Son of God, who had no sin of his own, who had become our sin, dies the death of a sinner. How you define that, how you break that down, I don't know. All I know is that's what the Bible says. And all I know is he died the death that I would have had to die if he hadn't done it for me. And, that, and the death I would have had to die would mean alienation from God. And so he's alienated from God, but he has died for my sins. He hasn't died for his sin. He knows who he is. His spirit man has not become unregenerated, if you will. He, even though he's been alienated from God and experienced what we would call spiritual death because that's separation, still he knew God's word was true for him. And so the affliction he was in, alienation from God and, and, and what it would mean to die independent of God. But he says, out of the belly of, of death, shell, the grave, I cried, and listen to this, and you heard my voice. Now, that's interesting. He's not saying, and I hope you'll hear my voice. He's not, you heard my voice. How did he know God had heard his voice? Because of what the scripture had already said about him. You shall not leave my soul in Sheol or hell, as the King James would say, and you shall not suffer my body to see corruption. I mean, every single prophecy had been fulfilled. The spear in his side, what the, what the high priest would say, what, you know, what all, what all the players in his death would say and what people would do. The detailed prophecy. He knew he could depend on God. And he says, for you cast me into the deep. Remember, God did this. The Roman soldiers didn't do this. The Jews didn't do this. God did this. Into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me and all of your billows and waves passed over me. In other words, it's like drowning. Man, he is buried in our sin. He's drowning in our sin and the, 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 the alienation. That, that that means feeling eternally separated from God because once you leave this life, there is no time, so everything is eternity. And this gets beyond anything that you can explain. But listen to this. In verse 4, he says, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. That's amazing. It's like, I know 
what the scripture says about me. I know I will cast Satan out. I know I will rise up. I know that, that my throne is, uh, is established forever. I know that the scepter of, of my throne is righteousness. I know that, that, you'll, you know that you'll make my enemies to be a footstool before me and that every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He knew all these scriptures. This was the reality that he chose to focus his attention on. Verse 5 says, the water surrounded me, even to the soul. In other words, man, my emotions were, I was drowning in these emotions and the deep clothes around me and the weeds were wrapped around my head and I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Man, you're talking about being in darkness and in a prison, the prison that we would have to abide in. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. You know, he didn't say you will. He said you have. Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy mountain. Now, this next verse, I don't like the way most translations translate this. Actually, I like the way the King James translate. He says, those who regard worthless idols. I think the King James says lying vanities. And lying vanities very much fits the concept of idols because idols... Uh, this is not talking about just regarding an idol. This is talking about regarding anything that is a misrepresentation of God, anything that is a lying vanity. Those who regard lying van vanities, listen to this, forsake their own mercy. Jesus, who was swallowed up in hell, not the eternal lake of fire and brimstone, but where, wherever in eternity, people are separated from God. Jesus being swallowed up, even though in his own spirit, man, he was, he was righteous, yet he died a sinner's death. How does that happen? I don't know. Don't worry about it. Don't try to, don't try to sort all that out. Just try to grasp a truth that is beyond your intellectual mind to grasp. And he said, he said, compared to the trustworthiness of God's word, all of these other things are lying vanities. They're no different than an idol that, that presents a misrepresentation of God. And if I observe these things, I forsake my own mercy. I want to tell you something. That's what it means to exercise faith. When you have a choice between God's Word and a choice between the circumstances, you're going you're, you're gonna to experience the one that you believe and put your attention on. Listen to this, verse 9. He says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed because salvation is of the Lord. I want to tell you something. Jesus never took his eyes off of the price. Go back and read Isaiah 53 again that we read last week. And man, look at what all it says about, about uh, his pleasure being what he did for, for his people, for, for the children of God. Listen, Jesus didn't just sleep in the grave for three days and three nights. And I, I don't know how long he spent doing what, because there were other factors that, that happened. And we'll talk some about that next week. But here, here's the deal. Do you realize, do you believe the incredible price that God the Father paid for you and that Jesus himself suffered for you? Because I want to tell you something. When that becomes your reality, when you understand and believe the propitiation, the love of God 
will so consume you that you will fall in love with him or you'll harden your heart, you know, and continue in your foolishness. But you know something? I'm believing better things for you because people who are part of this broadcast, people who follow this ministry, we make disciples. You're watching because you want to be a disciple. I'm encouraging you. Sit down, listen to this a few times, read these scriptures and, and connect to these things. You know, you know, go to Impact Unlimited and get three days to change the world. Dive into this thing. Right? It costs you a dollar. Fill your heart full of what God did for you through the Lord Jesus. I want to tell you something. It, it, it's a game changer. Take a few minutes when this is over. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and like and subscribe to this channel so that millions of people all over the world hear this. Be sure and download my mobile app so that you can get everything that I do every single day to encourage you and to bless you. Share this with everybody you know. We're going to change the way the world sees God. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.